us all here, even though there are so many women away on their retreat, Lord, um, you've still brought a congregation here to, to worship you and to honor you together, Lord. Thank you so much for that opportunity to be part of that. Um, bless those on their way back from that retreat. Um, if they haven't already landed, Lord, help them keep them safe. Um, get them home to us because we need them. We love them. Uh, Lord, thank you again for bringing us here. Open our eyes to what you have for us and just uh, bless uh, Pastor Doug's words as he uh, delivers them to us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. That's a really cute baby, Ricky. It's a, looks a lot like her mom, thank God. So I'm just saying. <laughs> Um, good morning, guys. Everybody doing well? Good. Um, it's so cool. I, that, uh, that song that we sang, um, I believe in God the Father, I believe, you know, as in the first service as we're singing that, it's so important for us to just understand what we're singing. I mean, that's a very simple song. I don't need to explain the words to you, but, but I do want to say this. It's one thing to say, I believe these doctrinal truths. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the resurrection. It's sort of a a statement of faith set to song, right? That's a great thing. Here's the deal. We have to get in touch with the biblical meaning of the word believe. Because when we say, I believe in these things, it's not saying I just intellectually agree with a doctrine. It's saying, I have placed the whole weight of my life in these truths. And as I was worshiping with you this morning, and we're singing that song and singing about all of these truths about God, I was just reminded, God is so good, amen? Amen. He is so amazing. He is so far beyond our understanding and our wildest imagination. He is better than the greatest thing you could possibly imagine. And, and for us to remember that is so important because there are days and moments in days when we are in darkness and we are facing difficulty and we don't understand circumstances and we, we tend to look at our circumstances and they kind of envelop us and, and wrap us up and, and all we can see is the tunnel that we're in. And we need to be reminded of what is true about God even when we're in a tunnel. God is God all the time and God is good all the time. Amen. So it's so good to be able to worship him in that way. Um, As somebody mentioned, we have a number of women away in a retreat this weekend. Praise God for that. A whole bunch of them are up the mountain uh, worshiping and fellowshipping and getting uh, challenged and getting encouraged and and all of that kind of stuff. And, And so that leaves me always with a challenge on the week of the women's retreat because on the week of the women's retreat, there's a a lot of our um, people are not here which is good. They're up the mountain. But it always leaves me sort of going, okay, what do I do? I'm in the middle of this series on Ephesians, and we're talking specifically about the subject of being filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore being submissive people. And we've been talking about that and how it applies in the context of family, right? And then uh, a whole bunch of the wives and moms are gone this week, and we talked uh, at length in the last two or three weeks about this issue of mutual submission and what it looks like in marriage. Um, and, and I thought, well, do I just keep going? Because we're still on the subject of the family in Ephesians. Do I just keep going or do I take a break and talk about something else and wait for everybody to come back? Because I do really uh, treasure 
the ability of a, a husband and wife to grapple with these things together. If we're going to be talking about family, and God has put a husband and wife um, sort of at the, at the head of their family to lead their children, we need to be thinking together as husbands and wives about this. Hopefully, if you didn't get anything else out of what I've said in the last few weeks about submission and marriage, you got this. We're partners in this thing, right? God has called us to be one. And so um, I struggled a little bit at the beginning of the week thinking, well, do I just continue preaching what I was planning to preach? Or if not, what do I preach? Because it does give me an opportunity, even though as I look at the crowd, there's as many women here as there are men, maybe more. But, but it gives me an opportunity to say, you know, there's a bunch of women who got to go and be challenged and encouraged this week. I want those who are here, men and women, to be challenged and encouraged as well. And so what I've done is I decided that I'm going to talk about the same subject, but we're going to get outside of the book of Ephesians this week, and we're going to look at it in a little bit of a different way as we think about the family. And I decided to preach a message that is more general to the family, um, and then next week we'll get into Ephesians 6 where it talks about parents and children, and then it talks about slaves and masters, and we'll sort of wrap up this whole picture of submission that he's trying to teach us. But um, if you remember, in the weeks, uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been grappling with Ephesians 5, and I had this, I made up this chart that kind of shows this picture of what is it God is saying to husbands uniquely, and what is he saying to wives uniquely in this passage about how we are to submit to one another. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you will remember this chart, where the wife is to be subject to her husband um, in everything, and the husband is to sacrifice himself for his wife, where the wife is the body of the husband, and the husband is the head of the wife, where the wife is to respect her husband, and the husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And as I had chances to interact with some of you in the last couple of weeks since I first introduced this sort of breakdown from Ephesians 5, um, it's been fun to just have those conversations and notice that husbands and wives tend to have different perspectives about which of these is more difficult. And, and when you talk to wives, they, they say, boy, you know, it is really a high calling, a very challenging thing to be asked to submit to somebody when you know him better than anybody else and you see his weaknesses and you see his flaws and you have a pretty good sense of how he's doing in his walk with the Lord or how he's not doing in his walk with the Lord and yet I'm being asked to submit to this guy. It is a high calling, a very difficult thing to be asked to submit to your husband, especially when you think about some of the knuckleheads that some of our wives married, right? When you talk to husbands about this, they have a slightly different perspective. When you talk to husbands, they go, oh my gosh, the wives have it easy. All they have to do is, what, is submit. We have to lay down our lives. I mean, to, to love as Christ loves the church, to live sacrificially, it's just, it's just mind-boggling to think, not just that I have to be willing to die for my wife. Frankly, most of us would be willing to do that. It sounds very heroic that you would, you would push your wife out of the way of the train or take the bullet for her, but, but to live every day the sacrificial life, that's a whole different deal. And so the guys are like, man, God is really asking a lot of us here. This is a challenging thing. And, and if we were to take a poll, let, let's just think about this in our group today. Raise your hand if you would agree that the, the calling that God has on wives in Ephesians 5 is extremely difficult to carry out. Raise your hand if you agree with that. And then raise your hand if you agree that the calling that God has on husbands is extremely difficult to live out. 
right? And then raise your hand if you agree with this statement. They're both so impossible to live out that apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit, there's no way we could do it. Amen? That's okay. So I, I want us to get back to that. Because I don't want us to get bogged down in these details of who's got to do what in marriage and all that kind of stuff. I want us to remember the subject. The subject begins in chapter 5, verse 18, where it says, Do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That this is the Spirit-filled life that he's talking about. He's not giving us an assignment and saying, Hey, in the power of your flesh, in your own strength, of your own will, in your own wisdom, and all of that, go and do this. He knows we can't do that, but he's giving us this high calling, and he's saying, listen, I am willing to do this through you, and so what I want us to sort of do today is I want us to grapple with this idea, what does it look like to let God take our, our family life and the high callings that he gives us as families and, and as husbands, as wives, as parents, as grandparents, as, as members of a family and, and look at that high calling and get some principles about what does it look like to actually carry this out, to let God do it through us, while at the same time cooperating with God in it. So instead of turning to Ephesians 5, we're going to turn to the book of Psalms. So I want you to grab a Bible, open up to Psalm 127. Now, if you're not super familiar with your Bible, just open right to the middle. You'll probably be in the book of Psalms. And then find Psalm 127, which, by the way, is written by a guy named Solomon. And Solomon is known for his, <laughs> his wives, but he's known for his wisdom, right? So this is part of the wisdom literature of Solomon. And, and I'm going to read to you. It's just five verses long. So I'm going to read to you Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the, youth of one, uh, the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, who will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Now, this will come as shocking news to some of you, but I have never been a wife and I have never been a mother, okay? So I can't speak with much expertise on that subject. I have been a husband and I have been a father for a long time. And so I'm, that's the perspective that I'm coming at this from as I'm reading this. And obviously that's the perspective that Solomon is coming from. Um, and, and so I'm going to just share from my own experience about this as well as from the Word of God. And I just want you to know, and most of you who are parents will know exactly what I'm talking about here. I remember as a father, um, I remember as a husband becoming a father. I remember what it was like to go from the transition of having no children to having children. And, and I, I will never forget the births of any of my children, neither will any of you, I'm sure. Um, and, and, but I also remember other key times. And, and I remember vividly when my wife told me that she was pregnant with our firstborn. And, and I remember the, the mixture of emotion that I dealt with on that day because we were about to have a kid. And as far as I could tell, I was still a kid myself. And, and the thought that I am going to be responsible 
for a human life, like something that valuable that God is going to place that in my care just kind of blew my mind, and I just wanted to run for the hills. I just said, this is too much. On the other hand, I was filled with this sense of awe and expectation and joy and thrill that comes with this connection that you automatically have with your own child, even before they're born. And I don't know if all of you have had this, but with all of my kids, from the moment that I was told they existed, when they were, they were just in the womb for a matter of weeks, and, and I knew that they existed, from that point forward, I began to, to put my hand on my wife's abdomen every day and pray for these children, and to pray for things like their salvation, their health, um, their, their purpose in life, their potential future spouses, the, the plan that God had for them, that God would just, that would just fill them with His Spirit and use them as world-changing people, that He would meet their needs in ways that I was shaking in my boots because I knew I couldn't meet those needs. And, and so I began praying for those kids, and I remember the sense of weight that I had upon me feeling like, oh my gosh, I have to be responsible now for raising a human being, and, and later turned out raising three of them. And, and out of those three, two of them were girls. Like, like I, don't, I don't want to sound sexist, but I'm just going to tell you, raising a girl is way different than raising a boy, right? And, and I'm not saying better, I'm not saying worse, but dramatically different. And I was thinking about that this week because I was praying for Ricky and Vanessa because they have these two boys, right? And along comes this little precious girl. And, and I thought, man, I, what would I tell Ricky about the difference between raising a girl? What do you need to do if you're going to raise a girl? And I thought, the first thing I want to say is, dude, buy a gun, right? <laughs> first thing, buy a gun. Figure out how to, like, take fingerprints off of human skin. See how you can do that. Um, if possible, do a favor for a hitman in case you need him later. That I would suggest. All of those kind of things that you think of as a father when there's a girl born to you that you don't think of when there's a boy. Um, but in all seriousness, it's just this heavy sense of responsibility to go, I'm going to be the one that provides for this person. I'm going to be the one that protects this person. I'm going to be the one that teaches this person. I'm going to be the one that, that, that nurtures this person. And, and that is a huge, huge responsibility to have laid upon you. To realize that it, it, it's one thing to, to conceive a child. It's another thing to be a dad. It's another thing to be a mom. To, to love and to to inspire and to um, bring wisdom to their lives and, and to bring a sense of community and belonging and purpose and all of that. There's a lot of pressure there. And, and I don't know what it's like for moms, but I could tell you that for, for us dads to, to walk past the mirror now and then and stop and look in the mirror and go, you know what, uh, I'm in way over my head here. This is beyond me. These children are too precious to be entrusted to the likes of me. And, and to think that 
That is the responsibility that has been handed to me. That is why I love verse 1 of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. That is good news. I have great news for you moms and dads out there. It is not up to you to build your family. God wants to build your house. God has a plan for your family. God cares about your spouse and your children more than you do. God has more wisdom than you do. God has more resources than you do. God has a better track record than you do. And the building of your home, the building of your family that, that, this, that you've been given responsibility to oversee is actually up to God. He's the architect. He's the builder. He's the leader. He's the provider. So when we get into this passage in Ephesians 5, and it talks about uh, submission and husbands and wives and all that kind of stuff, the big question everybody wants to finally get down to, and they dance around it because they want to look spiritual, but they get around to it eventually, and the big question is this, who's the leader? Who's the boss? Who's in charge? And the answer is God. He's the one who said, I will build this house. And, and if you, if you uh, take a, a bride and a groom and you bring them together in a wedding ceremony and, and their thought is, I'm going to uh, join with this person and we are going to build a family, they are going to have a rude awakening because you can't do it. We're just tools in the hand of God. That, that's what we are. God's the builder. God's the one who does it. He's the only one that's qualified to build a family. And if you try to do it without him, you are walking into a disaster in the making. Uh, a few years ago, uh, some of you will remember this, a few years ago, uh, this building wasn't here. And instead, in this spot, there was a little, small, dilapidated, falling down building that seated uh, less than half this many people. And um, that, had, that had been used by God on this property for decades to disciple people and lead people to Jesus and, and change lives. And yet, that building was falling down. And, and we, had, we had filled it up in one service and gone to a second service and filled it up in two services, and there was no more room, and it was getting expensive, and it was, we were having to fix stuff. And it was obvious that this is the point in time when we're going to need to knock this old building down and build a new building. It was beyond the point where you could just do a room addition. It was beyond the point where you could add on. It had to go. And so, as I've told you before, I'm not great with tools. I'm not great working on cars. I'm not great building houses. That's not my thing. And yet, here I was, the leader of this church, knowing we're going to have to build a building. I didn't think for a second, boy, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home. I'm going to get that little plastic toolbox that I keep in the house in case like a screw ever needs to be turned, and I'm going to bring that, and I'm going to build this building. That thought never occurred to me. The thought that occurred to me is, I better find a qualified builder. And so we hired an architect who worked with us to come up with the plans for the building, and once we got the building planned, we put it out to bid, and all of these building companies started coming and meeting with us and saying, Here's how we're going to do it. We could do it like this. It'll cost this amount. Here's our resume. Here's our references. And I started just digging in to interviewing these guys. Because when you look at it, I mean, the, the, sometimes the numbers decide. If they're twice as expensive as the other guy, you can't afford them or something. But when it got down to about three or four real possibilities, it came down to this. 
who do I think is actually the most qualified to do this? Because I had this fear that I am going to, that the, the building is going to get knocked down, and, and then it's, there's going to be no building, and then they're going to run off with our money, and they're not going to have enough money to finish, and we're going to be stuck. And that scared me. So I checked all of those references. I went and looked at the buildings that they had built in other places. I, I made phone calls and, and checked with the city and the contractors board and did all this kind of stuff. Why? Because I knew that I was not capable of building a building like this, that we needed somebody who was an expert. But it's interesting how with our families, God, God you know, allows us to, to become um, the parents in a household with children and we have no training, and we have no preparation, and we don't know what we're doing, and we go, well, I'll do this. And I just want us to understand, God's not asking you to do it. God's asking you to join Him while He does it. It's up to Him. He can build a family better than you can. So I interviewed these guys like crazy before I picked one. I, I wish I could have uh, done the same vetting process with our building inspector. That would have saved us a lot of trouble, but that's another story. But I struggled and struggled with this question of which builder we could hire. And that was just a building. It's just walls and a ceiling and a floor. I mean, it's, it, how important is a building in the grand scheme of things? But the other day, God took little Charlie May and handed her to Ricky. That's a lot more important than a building. What are you going to do to build a family with God? How, how do you make that happen? That's what I want to get into a little bit today. And, and when I think about this, and I think about that God wants to build a healthy family, um, I think this. If I was God, and I was looking for somebody to entrust my family to, it wouldn't be me. My resume is not good enough. I, I know myself. If I was hiring someone to, to, to lead my family, I wouldn't hire me because I got issues. I got problems. I got failures. I have weaknesses. I got selfishness. I got a whole bunch of stuff where I go, I would never let somebody like me influence my kids. And God did. <laughs> he just said, okay, Doug, you take care of these ones. And it has been so helpful to me to recognize that God did not hand me a family and say, you are in charge, take care of everything, provide everything, meet every need. What God did was invited me into a relationship with him. And in the context of that relationship, he gave me a family, and he said, I love your family more than you do. I have more resources than you do. I have more wisdom than you do. I have more power than you do, and I will take care of your family. Your job is to stay with me so that I can do it through you. A hammer is no good laying in a toolbox. It has to be in the hand of a carpenter. And so God calls us to be his tool that he can use to build a family. And... And as I said, as a husband and as a father, it's not my job to do the building. My job is to be available and faithful, to be used however the master builder decides to use me. I'm a tool in the hand of God. And he is qualified to build our families. He's not asking us to do it. He's inviting us to join him as he does it. Look at verse 2. 
It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. He says, you know, sometimes we, we drive ourselves crazy trying to provide for ourselves. We, we get, can get up early. Like when it comes to parenting, you could go to seminars, read books, get counseling, you do all those kind of things to figure out how to be a good dad, figure out how to be a good mom. And I recommend that. You should get as much training as you can if it's good training. But my point is this. He says, even if you get up early and stay out working late, you can't actually provide bread for yourself. God has to provide that. And he could do it while you're sleeping. And that's what he does for his loved ones. You can ignore God's instruction and build this thing on your own, but at best, you're going to spin your wheels. At worst, you're going to do some significant damage. It is all about God. And I want us to be encouraged. As I look out in this congregation, I see people of all different ages and and different genders and of different um, uh, seasons in life. Some of you uh, are, are not even married yet, and you're, you're hoping to get married and have a family one day. Some of you are young adults who are in the process of raising a family right now, and you've got kids at home. Some of you are making this transition into my kids are adults, and I'm trying to figure out how to parent them as an adult. Some of you um, are already past retirement age, and now it's, it's grandkids or maybe even great-grandkids that you see running around, and, and you've already done so much of the work of raising your children, and you think, well, this maybe doesn't even apply to me. I'm going to tell you, it applies to every one of us, because whatever stage the people you're influencing are, they need the influence of godly people in their families. So God can handle this. He's got a great resume, guys. He's never failed at anything. He, he spoke, and the universe came into existence, and it's been doing pretty good since then. He, 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 he speaks, and the, and the sea is calm, and the winds stop. He raises from the dead. He is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask according to the spirit that works within us. And that's something that none of us can do on our own. We can't do any of that stuff anymore then we can raise our own families effectively. Every good thing comes from him. All the stuff you need to raise a family, to build a household, it comes from him. The money, the, the health, the, the shelter, the food, the in, environment, the community, all the things that we need, it all comes from him. It's all about him. He pours out those things on our families, and if you happen to be the husband, the wife, the mother, the father, he pours them out to your children through you, and all you have to do is be a willing conduit. And I I was thinking about this because um, I don't know if you've seen it, and I'm not yet ready to endorse it. There's a new show. I've seen a couple episodes now on television. Um, It's kind of interesting. I don't know if I like it or not yet, but it's called Designated Survivor. You got anybody seen this show? So here's the premise, basically. Um, The president is giving a State of the Union, so all of Congress is in the Capitol building, all of the Supreme Court justices, all of the cabinet, um, all of the staff of the White House, everybody is there for the State of the Union. The law requires that when that happens, there has to be one designated cabinet member who is not in that building, and there has to be one designated congressperson who is not in that building, so that should something terrible happen in that building and everybody dies, then you still have a congress and you still have a president. 
so that the, the cabinet member who is designated and is not in the building, should this something happen, becomes the president. So the, the premise of the show is the beginning of the show, it's the State of the Union, the Capitol gets bombed, and everybody gets wiped out. And there's this guy, and he's the director of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Okay? So he's the guy they, they left out of the building because no one even knows his name. Nobody cares about him. In fact, the president is getting ready to fire him because he's doing such a lousy job anyway. So they make him the designated survivor. And so he goes from on his way out as a director of housing and urban development to being the president of the United States in a moment. And he's got to be president at a time in which is the hardest time of our country's history. And nobody trusts him, and nobody knows who he is, and he has no staff, and he has no Congress, and he's got nothing, and he's got to lead the country. And the interesting thing is the first couple of episodes, almost every time they showed his face, he looked like this. He looked like he's about to throw up. He looks like a deer in headlights. He's terrified. And you can read his face, and, you're, and here's what you're reading. I can't handle this. This is beyond me. I was a lousy bureaucrat. How am I going to be a good president? He knows he can't handle this. And I'm just telling you, we should have that same sense. I can't handle this when it comes to the calling that God has given us to love our wives as Christ loves the church, to submit to and respect our husbands, to train up our children in the way they should go. We should, we should look like a deer in headlights and go, I cannot handle this. Now, when you get to that point where you realize you are hopeless, that's the most important point in your life because you're either going to turn to where the hope is or you're going to turn into further hopelessness. I want us to understand we can't handle the assignment God has given us to be influencers of people, especially our families, but he can. So are we going to turn to him and let him be our hope or are we just going to keep swimming upstream with no hope of ever getting anywhere? So on the one hand, especially to husbands, I just want to go, take a deep breath, guys, relax. It's okay. God can handle this. When, when, you, when you see that, you know, the scripture tells your wife to submit to you, and you go, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea. I, I, she's way smarter than I am. She's way more spiritual than I am. I, I just want to let her lead, and I'll just submit to her. And, and you have that feeling. It's okay to have that feeling. Nothing wrong with that. The question is, what do you do next? Do you turn to the one who is able, or do you just resign your responsibility and walk away? So God can handle this. That's why my best advice for young parents is always the same. Focus on two relationships. Focus on your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with Jesus. Remember, this all goes back to Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. If you're not walking in the Spirit, you can't do these things. So focus on your relationship with Jesus. Don't let it go away. Don't let it crumble. Don't let it become old and stale. It has to be alive. You have to be dependent upon him. You have to let him be the Lord of your life, working in your life. I'm not just talking about whether you pray before you go to bed. I'm talking about whether Jesus gets to sit on the throne and make the decisions in your life. Make your relationship with Jesus first. Second thing I'd say is this, no matter how many kids you have, you make your relationship with your spouse next. Your relationship with your spouse is the most foundational relationship in your life with another human being. 
You may not like your spouse very much right now. You may not have been enjoying your relationship with your spouse. You may not be interested in pursuing a deeper relationship with your spouse. But the God who knows you better than anyone and who knows what is best says, I'm going to build families on the foundation of marriages and the two have to be one. So if you find as a husband, as a wife, that you have a distance between you and your spouse, that you guys are not on the same page, not just when it comes to raising kids, but in any area, and and you find yourself drifting apart rather than coming closer together, you need to deal with that. You can't put that off. You can't just say it's no big deal. Your family is everything. It's a huge responsibility that God has placed upon you. You have to take it seriously. God will take the responsibility for your kids He will watch out for your kids. You focus on your relationship with him, your relationship with your spouse, and through those healthy relationships, you let him use you in your relationship with your kids, and you'll see amazing things happen. But we tend to get those things all out of order, and the more kids you have, the busier your life becomes, the more money it takes to raise all these kids, the more jobs you have to have, the less time you spend with the Lord, the less time you spend with one another, and you begin to sell out the things that are the foundation foundation in order to build the house higher. And God says, if you don't get the foundation right and you build the house, it will crumble. He says, let me build the house. You focus on the foundation. And so regardless of how it seems some days, God didn't give us our children as a burden. He gave us our children as a blessing. Look at verse 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord, or some translations say a blessing from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Your children are among the greatest gifts God has given you, and they are also a stewardship, which means they don't actually belong to you, they belong to Him. And He has put their care in your hands, and you are to be a good steward of that. We are responsible to God to do everything we can to provide for our kids love and safety and security and spiritual training and food and all of the things that they need. And doing that will sometimes make us unpopular with our children, right, parents? There are times when they're not so big on that. We as Christian parents, I think, sometimes have this danger of of smothering our kids because we're so trying to protect them. We over-insulate our kids sometimes. We over-protect, and and our kids don't get any sort of... uh, on-the-job learning about how to handle difficulties because we step in for them every time. It is a difficult thing to know how much, how, how, when am I tough, when am I gracious, when am I gentle, and when am I firm, when do I step in and protect my child from something that's difficult for them, and when do I stand back in the distance and let them deal with it and only step in when I have to. All of those things are difficult, and we don't know the answers to those things. I, you read all the books you want, and you, you pick up five books on parenting that are right next to one another at Barnes & Noble, you'll get five different philosophies and approaches. Which one are you going to take? I say this, forget all that stuff. Press into Jesus, press into your spouse, and let God show you how to raise your kids as you go, because we can easily make a lot of mistakes. I love the metaphor that the Bible uses in verses 4 and 5. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. So the metaphor is this. Your children are arrows, and you are the archer. And, and I love what's implied with that metaphor. 
He says, you're, you're blessed when you have a quiver, which is an arrow holder, filled with arrows. It's a good thing. And, and these are blessings from God. We live in a time and a, and a, a day and age in which there's, a, there's more and more people who believe that uh, having a child is a curse, having a child is a problem, having a child is an inconvenience, a child should be done away with, a child should not be um, treasured and honored and respected and all that kind of stuff. We got to get back to what the Word of God says about what He thinks about children. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that every family needs to have X number of children. What I am telling you is that every single child is precious in the eyes of God. And they need to be precious in our eyes as well. So blessed is the man whose quiver is full of these arrows. But what do you do with arrows? Arrows have a purpose. They're not supposed to spend their life in the quiver. The point of an arrow, the point of an arrow, is to be fired at a target of some sort, right? And so um, that takes effort on our part. We need to launch our children intentionally, and I, I'll just, I got to tell you this, when I was writing my notes for this, I literally wrote this, we need to shoot our children intentionally. That's what I wrote. <laughs> That's not what I meant, <laughs> okay? And I didn't want to say that because some of you will say, but the pastor said, right? <laughs> so I'm just telling you, we need to launch our children and, and we need to do it intentionally. Arrows get aimed at targets, there, there's a, there's a um, legendary Peanuts comic strip, and it may be literally just legendary. I, don't, I can never find, I have never found it, but I've read about it. But there's this Peanuts comic strip where um, there's, there's three arrows stuck in the side of the fence right in the middle of the targets. Three targets are painted there, arrows right in the middle where Charlie Brown's got the bow in his hand, and Lucy comes up, and she says, I had no idea you were such a good Archer, how do you do it? And he said, I found a foolproof system. I fire the arrow first and then paint the target around it. <laughs> Great, right? Pretty smart. Except for this. That's not how it works in real life. God says, I have a vision for your children. You've got to aim them at that vision. You've got to get in touch with what God has in store for those kids. And every child is different. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. What's very interesting is the verse does not say this. It's a famous verse. Most of us have heard it. Let me tell you what it doesn't say. It does not say, train up children in the way they should go. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. You know what that means? It means God has a, a unique vision for every single person. God, God has custom designed every one of us. We saw that in Ephesians 2.10. Every one of us is a, a work of art that he has a specific vision for our lives. And you know what? If you have more than one kid, you already know this. They are not alike, are they? They're so different. And you go, oh, God has this, given this one these passions and these talents and these gifts and these ideas and these opportunities. This one has all different gifts and opportunities and passions and ideas. And, and the idea is to somehow know your children well enough that you can come alongside of them and launch them in the direction that God has designed for them. But there is a target in mind. And all of this baloney that you can read about in parenting books about hands-off parenting and let them find their own way and they'll figure it out kind of stuff. Listen, they're children. 
God gives children to adults because adults have wisdom and insight and resources and abilities, and you're to use those to help your child. If you're just standing back going, well, they'll figure it out, then you are, you are walking away from your responsibility as a parent. You have to train them up in the way they should go. And, and how do you do that? I want to show you this verse before we close. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And again, it's a well-known verse, but this is worth uh, making note of. We're, we're going to pick it up actually in verse 4. I think the slide says verse 6, but we're going to pick it up in verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This is God speaking to the nation of Israel and saying, this is what I want your life to be about. It's a real important passage. Chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So he's saying to them as a nation, I have created you as a nation for this purpose, to worship and honor and love the one true God in a society that is filled with paganism and false gods. And then he continues, verse 6, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And here's the key in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You see, in too much of the Christian church today, parents have taken this approach. They have said, there are professionals who are paid to disciple my children. There's a youth pastor, there's a children's pastor, there's a senior pastor. I'm going to bring them to church, boy, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure that my kids go to church because there are some people there who will disciple them and train them up in the way they should go. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, you parent, train up your child in the way he should go. That doesn't mean there's no rule for the, there's no role for the ministers in the church to play or volunteers in the church to play. Obviously, there is. But, but they can't do what you're required to do in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Teach them diligently to your sons and, and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. In other words, all the time. When you're in your house, is Jesus a part of your, of your conversation in your house? Is Jesus a part of your children's experience where they live at home? Because I'm telling you, as you know, when they're out in the world, Jesus is not allowed to be a significant part of what's going on. Now, he's there, but they're not allowed to talk about him. And what they're hearing about Jesus in most of the world is negative. What are they hearing about him in your home? And, and it says, and when you walk by the way... Which is funny because this is Southern California. Nobody walks anywhere. So if this was written to us today, it would say, when you drive in the minivan. That's what it would say. And, and seriously, what, that, that's this opportunity that we have. In Southern California, we spend time in our vehicles. Like, if you have kids, see what you can do to make use of that time. Now, some of you are moms of young kids are like, they're sleeping, don't wake them up. Okay, I got you. But as they get older opportunity for you to have Christian music that they're learning to worship, the opportunity for you to, to use uh, entertainment, the types of entertainment that they can get the Word of God into their hearts, opportunity for you to um, talk to them about what's been going on in their lives and how the Lord fits into that. When they lie down at bedtime, 
I'm telling you, when you finally get a kid tucked in and quiet, man, there's an open heart time right there. Don't miss that time. Use that time. First thing in the morning when you rise up, isn't it a great day? Remember, we're going to love Jesus today. To be able to just build into our kids all the time. Nobody can do that except you. That's why God puts kids in families. They need you. And next week, we're going to talk more about the relationship between parents and children. But for today, let's remember this balance between doing our part as stewards and, on the other hand, remembering God's got this, and He knows that you're not capable, and He's going to do it through you anyway. You don't have to be able. You just have to be available. The closer you walk with Jesus, the more you will become like Jesus. And the more you become like Jesus, the greater the chance that you will be used by God to influence the people who are closest to you to become more like Jesus. And in the end, isn't this all about submission? Isn't this just about God saying, hey, listen, the world doesn't revolve around you. It's not all about you. It's all about me. And so get focused. And, and, and get under my leadership, God says. And I will take care of the things that you can't take care of. So you do your part and you be you. And you let God be God. And you submit to him. And you watch as he impacts your family for the glory of God for all time. And I, for one, can't wait to see how that works its way out as a legacy. I've had the incredible privilege now as I'm getting to be old. My children are adults now. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, if there was another pastor, you'd have to hear about his kids all the time. But, um, you know, I don't have the, all the cute stories to tell about my kids anymore. What I have is this amazing testimony that says, although my children as adults are not perfect, they love Jesus with all their heart. And they're walking with him. And you know who gets credit for that? He does. He does. And I know that there is no surefire guaranteed way. You could do all the right things as a parent, but your child has that free will, and they're going to do some things, and, and you can't always control that. I understand that. That's the part we have to leave with God, right? You be you, and you let God be God. But I'm telling you, there is something incredibly joyful about watching your adult children walk with Jesus, something incredibly joyful. There's something incredibly joyful for me as a pastor. I've been at this church since 1989. That means there's a bunch of people who were born in this church before, since I've been here, right? And I've watched them go from infancy to childhood to youth to adulthood, and now they have their own children, and I am having the privilege of pastoring, you know, spiritual grandchildren now. And it's an incredible picture. When we had Vacation Bible School a couple of weeks ago, maybe one of the greatest things for me about it was a number of kids, number of, number of adults who used to be kids that were in our vacation Bible school when they were five, six, seven, eight years old, and now their kids are in vacation Bible school, and they are the ones influencing people for Jesus. Guys, I'm telling you, there's not much that's more satisfying than that. It's an unbelievable thing to see what God will do with legacy if we will trust him and be stewards of the lives that he has entrusted to us, especially in our families. As for us parents, it's just a huge privilege, isn't it, to be invited to join God in the shaping of a human life. It's an incredible privilege. Don't give up. 
take it seriously, but remember that it's God who does the work to change lives. Let's stand and pray together.